All right, welcome everybody to our latest Between the Races podcast on the MX Vice Network. Thank you everyone for listening and supporting the site. We really appreciate it. We'd first like to thank our sponsors in Fly Racing, Monster Energy, Fox, Parts Europe, Scott, Bell Helmets, Acherbys, ASV Performance, Kawasaki UK, KTM UK, and of course, even Strokes for all their incredible support, as without them, none of this would be possible. All right, for this episode, we have a special interview with Danish rider Matthias Jorgensen, who's been racing MXGP, the ADAC, the Danish Championship, working a full-time job in his hectic, super busy schedule. So thanks for joining us, mate, and how's life, even though it wasn't the greatest weekend in Finland at MXGP, was it? No, it wasn't the best weekend. It was a long travel up there and then uh, a really, really long travel to, to get back home, especially because when I get off the ferry from Finland, it was just raining and storming. And yeah, I was all alone in the van because I was sending my, my fiance and my mechanic with the with the plane. So I had a lot of time to just sit there in the rain and think about it. <laughs> oh, mate, it's impressive. Also, we got the boss at MX Vice, James Burfield, joining us. How are you, mate? And cheers. Yeah, good. Thank you, Ed. Really nice to uh, chat to Matthias as well, because uh, obviously I've seen you sort of uh, over in America, obviously in MXGP. So it's uh, really good to put a face to a name and uh, hear a little bit of your story as well. Yeah, yeah. thank you, guys. I appreciate the invite here. Nah, mate, it's a pleasure to have you on. And yeah, just Finland, mate, just before we get into everything else, just how was the weekend? How did you find the track and how was the injury, mate? How did it happen? Yeah, actually, I find it the track really fun. It was not uh, too big of a track, but so long. So we got a lot of uh, spinning laps in the time we had. Uh, a little bit like one-lighted. You couldn't have too much opportunities to pass and stuff. But yeah, as the, as the day went on, the track got a little bit better until the rain came. And that made it really difficult for everybody, I think. So it was a tough weekend for me in the in the time qualifying. I got taken out pretty hard, but uh, by another rider just when you exit the the pit lane. So I was all muddied up, and my hands were so muddy. So I just turned and went in the pit lane the wrong way. I was not even thinking about it because I was just so muddied up, you know, and the goggles was all muddy. And so I just came into the pit, took the muddy goggle off, and the screaming guy he just ran out to me and like, yeah, you're disqualified. You're fucking disqualified. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> so yeah, disqualified from the qualification but he said i was allowed to do the qualifying race just come last to the gate so i had the 26 gate pick all the inside there and uh, actually got a pretty good jump and i was after two corners 11 right after flandering so and then on the first jump on the track he he slided out a little bit so he hit me mid-air oh. and i flew under one of the coast arcadiums so I got landed on and went over the bars and had a tough one on going on there. Hit my head and my hand a little bit. Oh, mate, how are you feeling now? Pretty pretty worse for wear? Yeah, actually, I, in the beginning, I felt only I hurt my head. So I was just sitting there and trying to, to be myself again. And I jumped on the bike because I didn't want it to end the session with, with such a big crash. And I was spinning spinning some laps. Actually, I went into the pit, got my handlebars fixed a little bit, and then I was waiting to the field just to lap me. So I didn't went on the track in front of all the other guys battling for points. So I was just waiting for all the guys to, to lap me, and I went in behind the last guy and was just following the pace and actually taking taking a guy or two there. And after three or four laps, I went into the pits again and said, like, I was done. So I just, just wanted, didn't want it to end the session with a crash. Yeah, mate, fair enough. And then you're racing again this weekend in the Danish Championship. You're going to give it a crack, mate, even though the hand's not so good? 
Yeah, I have to do it because uh, I'm leading the Danish championship and that's the first priority for, for the team and also for me for sure because then then we can have something at the end, winning a championship. And uh, I'm not too far ahead in points. I think I'm 40 points ahead. And we have three races in, or three heats in the Danish championship that's giving points. We have like uh, two separate heats, two separate motos, one heat, two heat. And then we have a super final when the MX2 guys is is joining us. So you have like uh, a lot of points to race for. Yeah, mate. Busy schedule. Obviously, just recently you had a great day in Lockett. Your first MXGP points at 31, you were saying. So talk us through that, mate. It's very much sort of a privateer setup you do. You do all your own work, set up your own tents. Uh, tell us about the program and the support you have there because it's impressive, mate, to get points. Just You see the vast sort of gap in resources between what you're doing and those factory guys. So to be competing with them is pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. It's it's nice to to know that all the work you do is is paying off when you go to such a big race. And I didn't expect anything, but when I see the lap times and the sector times and stuff like that, I can see I'm only maybe one or two seconds. And then it's going to be really funny to be there. That's like from 12th place to, to 15. So pretty much doing just a privateer program. I'm here on a small Danish team. Uh, just doing the Danish championship. So I'm still wrenching my own bike. I'm washing my own bikes during the week. I have my own company full-time job beside that. I have a daughter. She's 10 months. And I for sure also have uh, my fiance. So everything takes time, you know, and there's not so many hours in the day. I only have 24 hours. So it, it can be busy. Sometimes you finish late in the garage and you also have to do the training and also try to sleep a little bit before the next day. But we went there to log it. That's uh, have to ask my friends for help always. I'm always relying on my good friends, and if they couldn't help me, and also my fiance, I just couldn't do this because, yeah, as you know, it's it's so tough to to be a lone guy in this team. I think too much about this stuff all the time because since I got the new Yamaha, I really like it. But I'm I'm also the guy who developed the bike. I go and test my own suspension. I bring my own bike to the dyno to see what it says and trying new things. And yeah, I'm, I'm curious about the whole process and I love it, but it just takes time. Also when you want to train and make money beside it. Wow. I, uh, I like literally take my hat off to, to privateers, Matthias. Um, it's uh incredible when you list out the things what you do because we you know we all you know take it for granted that um you know we we see the fluffy bits where everybody turns up and especially the fans we kind of see mxgp tv we see these riders see these riders names we have no idea what it takes to get to a race we you know we we think we do um and you know and there's no magic wand and it's 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 great to hear that you seem to have uh a, a really good uh circle of people around you which you kind of share um, you know, that vision of you, of, of getting you to the line. So when you say your friends help you, are they financially helping you? Are they helping you with um, getting your bike ready? You know, when you say the people around you, what, what what do they do? Yeah, the people around me basically just help me with doing stuff and arranging stuff because, yeah, it's so expensive. And they also have to, what you say, use their own money on their own life. So I'm not asking for money, but I just ask for hours all the time. And you also reach like a certain point when you are a little bit embarrassed about it because, you know, yeah, I know you helped me so many hours last week. My mechanic have also his own company. Uh, he's a car mechanic company and have a wife also and two kids. <laughs> so I know like every time I ask Casper, my mechanic, hey, can you go with me to that race? He also have to say goodbye to two kids at home. 
So yeah. a, a boy on two years and a girl that is four years old. So you know, now daddy is going again because you have to help Matthias wrenching bike as, as a GP. So and in the beginning of this season, it wasn't that many races we should do. We should do the Danish and the Adak Masters. But as the season progressed and the speed was going good and, you know, I got a little bit hungry and wanted to do more. And he never, ever questioned it. He was just like, we're doing it. How many races? Where to travel? We go to log it. I fly to England, uh, to Finland. And and yeah, that's, I'm just so grateful for it. And also my dad, he's helping at the Danish championships to rinse the bikes and stuff. It's just, sometimes you, you just ask, yeah, can you help? Can you help? Can you help? But it's so difficult to give back that time that use on you because, you know, I don't have time for it. That's why I ask You're these guys to help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm so busy. I could show you, I have a calendar here in, in my office and the other room, and I can show it to you guys like every weekend to just have race, 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 race. It's like, it's unbelievable. So what, yeah. what I'd like to hear is that you kind of, um, you know, like a lot of riders who I talk to, you, you know, you have your ambitions as well. And how much did it mean to you to grab those two points and knock it? Yeah, for sure. It meant a lot to me because I didn't expect it. And also it was a little bit difficult because after getting two points, I just want more points. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so when you first taste a little bit of it, I'm saying, hey, I can do this. I, I can be up there. And my fiance also said, like, you belong up there for sure in the top 20 to 50. And, and maybe when you did it a little bit more further up the ladder, you know, but yeah, it, it meant a lot to me also for the team because it was the first GP for the team. And it's, uh, I'm also really happy to give back uh, some points for the team because they also spend a lot of money on this show. I was going to say, it wasn't a very easy track. It's pretty sketchy. You got to piece together it all. And you didn't have a great weekend in terms of luck either. So it could have been way better. Obviously, you had the stone and then you had the incident with Bogus you were put up on the post. So it could have been way better, couldn't it, mate? <laughs> yeah, it could have went really, really good. And the first motor I was running uh, 12, 13 for 15 minutes. And then first of all, I got a rock in my rear brake so I couldn't brake. So I overjumped uh, a jump and crashed. And then I got a rock in my front brake and then my front brake didn't work. So yeah, when I came out to the sideline, I was pissed because I was feeling good and I was not pushing it too much. I felt like so. Yeah, I throw away a lot of points there. I was going to say regarding your team in uh, in Denmark, tell us a little about them. Obviously, your your Yamaha. What are the sponsors have you got involved in the team? Yeah, basically, when I came home from the states after I was I was there for two years racing Supercross and Motocross, I was burned out because it was so tough. It was so much travel, and also, like I said before, I rent my bikes. So my 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 race bike between the weekends has to maintenance new pistons. I was checking the valves, you know, on the road. So me and my fiance on the road, we was planning like, okay, maybe in 10 hours we are here. Do we have a good washing spot and maybe a gym so we can take a shower because we lived only in a sprinter van. No toilet, no shower, just a sprinter with a trailer on. So that was really tough two years for me. So when I came home, I was like, okay, I'm done racing motocross for now. I just want to take some time off it. I didn't even miss it. I didn't go to one track to just look at it. So I started cycling because I needed something. So I started cycling mountain bike and it's the same like motocross. You start low C, B, A class. And I worked my way all the way up to the A class uh, on a half a year. And then I was racing the best guys. And for me, I was also already like from 10 to seven, eight ish in the best class. And then the guys in front of me was racing Olympics. 
So oh, I was yeah. like, okay, now I know. It's like racing factory guys. It's like being on the gate with Cooper Webb and Rocks and all these guys. You just know they are way ahead of you. So yeah, after one year, this guy that's owned this team, he texted me one morning. He said, yeah, what about that cycling? Should we start riding some dirt bikes again or what? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, fuck it. Let's do it. Back into racing. And and it was six in the morning. I was on the way to, to work and he was sitting on toilet after he told me and actually just <laughs> thinking about, hey, let's race again. Because he had this team for quite some years now and he hasn't winning any championship and that has been his main goal. So I, I told him, if you're going to do this, you're going to go on the two-stroke bike. Because I knew I should rinse again myself. So I knew that it was it would be a fast back bike out of the box and really reliable. So not major engine was blowing up and stuff like that. So that's why we went with the two-stroke. And yeah, we got the first championship, first year working together. Yeah, yeah, and then he said, now we got the championship in the MX2 class. Now I, I bump you up to MX1 and you're going to repeat yourself. <laughs> so <laughs> now, now we're not done yet but uh, so far so good the the year has been really good to us and uh, last round i got disqualified one race because in denmark you need to wear the nick brace it's like oh. you can race without it and i That's crashed really and got yeah i think we are one of the only countries in the world that uh, that have that rule when, when did they bring that in oh that's many years ago i was maybe in 2000 14 wow, so, so they so pretty much then everybody's either wearing a layout or an atlas brace or, or something so you have to you have to the federation can take your license Damn. so what? only on the gps we can do it because we race on the fim yeah yeah and you obviously yeah, prefer and... not to use one oh i fucking hate <laughs> it oh, really shit. i was gonna ask, yeah, ask oh. what's your thoughts on the neck brace and and what about your oh, yeah. uh, players that you race against? Are they kind of like four net braces or or no? You know, what, as what, a, in my class, sense? in the bigger class like me, the older generation, I will call myself old now because I'm thirty one years. But we hated everybody. Like the younger <laughs> generation, you know, the mom and dad put them on them when they were smaller and growing up with it. They're used to it, but I feel like it it limited my range of motion a little bit. Yeah. So I normally, uh, yeah, last year I was racing racing the Bell Moto Ten, but they had like a small lip here, so they had smaller space. So I went back to the Bell Moto Nine, and then the lowest neck brace you can get, just to give you that more movement. Yeah, because you know when you scrub the bike and the shoulders are high and you're standing low, the, the neck brace is tossing the helmet, and when touching the helmet, it also changes the goggles. So it's yeah. like uh, I just hate it. So you go to the JPs yeah. and feel free, mate. <laughs> <laughs> also now this for this year in my federation you need to wear the tee off uh, what you say collectors oh so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. See the, the green strap we have on the helmet yeah. they did that in yeah. the italian championships the pre-season round so because yeah they have the, the strap that takes them yeah so that's probably Is another thing to consider there? I'm not sure if it's working down there I, I think uh, a lot of people complain because they obviously the terrace flap yeah, yeah, but if you just pull hard enough, they're just falling off. Yes, that's uh, a bit okay. useless. <laughs> in uh, in the UK, we've got this uh, product. It's been about you probably know of it. It's been in the US for about five years. It's called Rip Clear, and uh, you kind of like it's a protector which goes over your lens, and oh, um, yeah, yeah. like stone hits it, everything else, and it, your your lens is absolutely fine. 
But um, in the British Championship this year, they, there's a no tariff um, rule. So um, uh, a few riders have uh, switched over to Rip Clear, and um, they're able to just literally wipe it with their hand. And uh, and yeah, it's it's really really cool. So it's like uh, it's got rid of the whole tear off thing. And um, you know, just like when sand gets on it, you can just literally wipe it in uh, in a way you go. So um, that's been quite cool. Okay, no scratches in the lens or nothing. No, no scratches at all. So um, maybe I'll send you some out. Boom. Yeah, do that. Let me test that yeah, out. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you can test it for uh, MX Vice. That'd be really good. <laughs> oh, that's but um, so no, it's interesting you say that because uh, the environment's changing. You know, federations are changing, and uh, you know, the UK now is 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 gone crazy. So like, uh, you know, tariffs are a thing of the past. Yeah, I think this, it's the same in in Denmark here. They're going crazy with the environment stuff and. Also with the protection stuff now with the with the neck brace, we need to wear it and also protection on the body. And also now at the GPs, you need to wear it on the body. I don't think that have been have been a rule for for many years. Yeah, I think that came in uh, it's probably about three or four years ago now. I think after a couple of bad crashes, they uh, they, they kind of brought in that you needed to uh, have body armor, which is quite funny because some of the body armor you see is like literally a piece of foam. <laughs> and also the 85 riders now need to wear the elbow protection i see oh, i didn't know about that okay yeah yeah they, they said that i saw it in locket for the for the 65 riders should do the the european finals there they also had to bring it down to the technical control to get it see that checked out and stuff Hey, uh, the the Danish Federation they they seem to be pretty cool with an MXGP because they do supply um, a, a coach now which goes to each race to every MXGP, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah, Emil, he's I think he have been the national coach for five six years. He's he's traveled along with the riders, and actually he's only I don't know what to say. He should he should only do it take care of the riders if they can do top eight in the world championship but he's also helping the other riders because after Olsen he's he's got injured when his yeah. neck then he only had Mikkel so yeah he 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 did help a lot of riders out and this year is the first year I work with him I've never been on the national team before even I have been, really? been winning some Danish championships before yeah really wow so. yeah I've got a lot of time for Emil he um uh i, I kind of watched from afar and obviously when we've done the track walks um previously i could always bump into him and he's got this like uh entourage of, of small kids following him yeah always yeah he's doing a good job as i said and locket was my was my first time with him so he first uh, was walking the track with the small guys and afterwards yeah. he was walking uh, the track with the big guys because we also had a lot of guys doing the emx two-stroke european Okay. So yeah, that was my first time working with him, and also this weekend in Finland. And I'm surprised uh, he he knows what he's doing, and he's always on his toes, and he's he's coming to watch the riders. Even I wasn't riding at Sunday, he spent yeah. a lot of time with me walking me to the medical truck and and all that. So yeah, I'm I'm beyond grateful for what he's doing for all the riders. You don't see it also when I didn't have 
and easy to do with him i was at home you know oh he's spending all this time alone with miguel and yeah i know anything yeah. about it but um no for me it's like you know i've kind of got to know emil through um Mikhail and you kind of uh seen that he's been super supportive of of Mikhail. but obviously because i got talking to him then it's then a future races i've gone to and i've just seen like you know he'll have like five or six kids and he'll spend the time and in, in, in work with them and uh I think uh, sometimes it's just nice to have somebody who, you know, when shit's going wrong, you can talk to. I think it's, it's way more than just uh, someone to walk the track with and a coach. It's, it's, it's you know, um, I've seen, you know, Mikhail's head, you know, down a few times and uh, he's there to pick it up. So, um, no, it's, it's cool to see it. I, I like looking at what other federations do because in the UK, our federation is absolutely poop. So, um, <laughs> so uh, it's... It's when you actually see other nations and what they put into it in, uh, you know, a full credit, you know, they, they need to, you know, to get as much exposure as possible because, um, you know, fans on the outside wouldn't understand that um, the Danish Federation is actually actually doing something to help their riders. Yeah, and we are not that many riders here. I think we are like five and a half thousand Danish riders holding a motocross license. So. It's not because we are that a big nation here holding the flag high. We are a tiny group of people, but uh, yeah, I think he's doing a great job too, for sure. Well, I was going to say with the motocross of nations, surely you'd be a great pick to to ride a 450 with Mikel Harrop. Obviously, he's got another year in MX2, but he'll be going up to MXGP in the very near future. And the other 250 slot, I, I recently spoke to Matty Jorgensen, who's racing Loretta's this week and did a couple of AMA nationals. And he said he's keen to race the nations if he gets picked. Obviously, in the past, we've seen guys like Bo Dam, and then you've got Magnus Smith, who's a pretty good contender, and Scott Berg and Fredzo in the younger classes. So there's a pretty nice little production line of talent coming through, mate. And obviously, that's a testament to the work the Federation's doing. So just tell us a little bit about those guys. And you obviously do hope to get on the nations team, I'd imagine. Yeah, for sure. I would like to do the nationals uh, or the nation team. Uh, that's a thing I never have been doing before. So that would be nice to to have that checked out on the list. Like uh, when I went to the States, that was also something I wanted to do so I could check it off on the list. But I don't know about the 250 guys. There have just been a podcast here in Denmark in the last week when he actually talks to Emil about it. And he also have all these names up and and talk about Magnus, and we also have Rasmus Peterson. He was doing the two-stroke championship down in Lockett. So he, he's talking about that for sure. He won the fast guy, but he also won the guy who can walk the distance. Because back home here in Denmark, we're only racing 20 minutes and one lap. So yeah. it's for sure something completely different. And also with Maddie Jurgens, and now he's for sure been racing a few pro races. Yeah. But it's far different than amateur racing in the states i think it's four laps that do every gate job so yeah it's yeah, a tough it's one because they're obviously doing a few longer motos at loretta's and stuff he was saying but yeah it's nothing you know to really prepare you for the environment of the nations because you know there's one thing dealing with the racing side but you got to deal with all the outside noise and experience like yourself is just so vital in that sort of pressure cooker stuff where you've got to get everything in a row and the fans are going absolutely wild, like more wild than anything really. And you've been used to that race in America, you know, crazy fans, you know, that stadium from the oh, Supercross, yeah. <laughs> you know, outdoors, mate. So if you had to pick a team, you can or you cannot, but if you had to pick a team now, who would you pick as the two alongside you for the Danish team? Obviously, Mikkel would be one of them, but the other one, 
Have you got a selection you choose? Oh, that's a difficult one, mate, just to throw it out here. But uh, for sure, me and Miguel, I would love to do it. Uh, I also feel I'm the fastest 450 guy back home. I've been winning beyond 50% of all the motos back home. Ah, but uh, we also have William, you know, in the MX2 class. Yeah. He was also grabbing points in Finland and he's doing better and better and better, and better here progressing in the season. So, yeah, it could be William. It could be Magnus or Rasmus. Yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, you see he sort of started the year quite slow and he's just slowly making progress, which is cool to see. And like you've spoken with the British guys, James, the only way to get better is to test yourself in those EMX, MX2, MXGP levels because you've got to expose yourself to the competition. Is that what you say to young riders too, mate? Uh, yes, yes. I, I, I'm kind of a big believer that um, the UK guys need to get out of the UK and get over to uh, the EMX races at a young age. Um, because you know, you, you've seen Prado over the years, uh, riding 85 in you know, in Holland and stuff like that. You, if you're going to ride against these guys in your career, you need to be racing against them, you know, and and you know, riding against them and, and pitching yourself against them and pushing yourself against them. Um, I believe that you know, in the UK, uh, unfortunately, it's uh, you know, it's it's, it's there's great riders, but they're they're, they're they're sorry, there's good riders but they're great on um, British tracks. But then when you go over to a GP track, that's when they struggle. So, um, you know, from a young age is, you know, we got young Harry Dow. I think he's he maybe nine years old. who's just won an EMX 65 race. Um, but apart from that, you know, we've, we've got this massive gulf between sort of Conrad Muse and Harry Dow, whereas this next generation of riders, you know, are not competing in EMX. So, is that kind of a, I think what Ed was saying is that, is that what's happening in Denmark? That you, you know, you're trying to push them to get to, um, to the EMX races as quick as possible. Yeah. I think the, the riders need to try to go to the, to the big races as early as possible to see how it is and to feel it. So they don't get such a big shock and maybe think about it when they get older, because if you just have done it and done it and done it over the years, when you was young, you may be sitting on the gate and in the EMX 250 class and you don't even think about that it's a big race you know because you've just done it your whole life uh i can see that also with if we take some younger guys we have this small supercross race here in denmark and they think it's such a big event you know and sit down there on the line and they can look up in the stadium and they can see all these people but if you just get used to it at a young age or you're just so strong-minded you don't even notice it that's that would also be a really benefit but i think everything is in the head we can also have so fast riders here in Denmark but when they go outside the country or even just have a really big race in Denmark they won't perform it's just yeah. I don't know I think maybe it's more mentally and it's then it's the riding so I think every 60% is happening in your head you know and 40% is on your bike so if you're not home in England and you don't feel that comfortable and mom and dad is not around and it's not the same people from the club that is cheering you on and you know you're not feeling the same vibe, then it can maybe also be that. I guess that's another thing when you think about from a from a professional rider, um, as a young age, you've got to get used to the traveling. You've got to get used to riding against uh, different types of people, the culture, the food, so many different things that you're going to experience is a young kid what can prepare you for when you're older but i think one of the things we forget is that uh if you're signing for a factory team if you're that fast and you're that good 
um majority of the kids from from like 18 onwards are probably living at living on their own or living in an apartment which is supplied by the the team or something so you know at 18 years old i couldn't even remember i didn't even know what to do with my life at 18 years old let alone have to feed myself and uh in, in stuff like that so um you know it, there is a as well as racing there's a lot which comes um you know pressures from from life itself so i i hear the stories of tommy sorrel when he went to america i think at 18 and they uh they didn't have a clue they didn't have a cook they didn't know what to do him and ed were just there and, and we're just like right what do we do next it's like they've had their mums that you know like kind of looking after him for so long yeah that's also a big part of it like my parents or my dad never raced so i don't come out of a racing family at all so when I was I was like 16, 17, my dad my dad already began like to tell me when you're getting 18, you have to you have to do this yourself, you know. So and I always always was wrenching my bike and washing my bikes myself. So yeah, then it then it just took off and I was traveling Europe thin myself and racing and bringing a buddy for the pit board and yeah, just it just happened and uh, you grow with it. Yeah, mate, that's it. You put in those uncomfortable situations and I guess, you know, you sort of learn a lot and you gain valuable experience from being made to, I guess, suffer a little bit. So, you know, being what you've been through, have you sort of looked into coaching one day and to be given some advice to these kids? Because your unique experience would be certainly very valuable to them just to know what it takes to get to the top, isn't it? Yeah, the past two years, I've been running a little bit uh, my own program with small kids uh, back home here in Denmark. I have uh, six, uh, what you call it, younger riders in the smaller classes. And then I have uh, six better riders in, in the bigger classes. And I've been looking after them. And also my fiance, Stina, she's with on the diet side and we controlling the training and the food and nutrition and, and all that stuff. So we are for sure already in it. And and I love I love to work with all these guys because when I can see they push hard and progress and trying to take some new chances and and all that that's what it's about you know we don't want to get stuck in what we are doing we always want to progress just just a little bit because we spend so much time on it. And that's a perfect example of what you do. You take every opportunity that's available to you. You know, we speak to Jason Thomas most weeks at MX Vice and he's obviously retired now, but all the media stuff, all the fly racing stuff, even with that, he says, if there's a chance to do something, I'm taking it, which is kind of what you're doing, mate. And these kids must be seeing that and you seize the opportunity when it comes their way. It's a great sort of thing to be teaching them. But just back to you as a kid, mate, how did you actually get into motocross? If your dad didn't ride, what were the sort of key influences growing up and who were your idols, I guess? Yeah, that's the thing with me. I actually never had an idol before. And I think that's also coming into playing a good role for me because when I went to the stage racing, I was not shocked to sitting on the gate with these big guys because I never ever looked up to them like, oh, look at that guy, look at that guy. I'm like, that's just a guy like myself. You know, he's just faster than me at this point. And I want to just try to beat that guy. But yeah, I started racing my my cousins. I have two cousins. They had two PV50s. And they was racing on this little field where we lived, my parents and me. And then we went up there. My dad was bringing me up there and I was trying one of them. And then I was racing the other cousin because there was two bikes. And then I, I beat the shit out of him. <laughs> and then my cousins, <laughs> my cousins was chasing, changing bikes, you know. Then I was racing the other cousin. And then I was beating the shit out of him. And then my daddy was like, okay, I think uh, now it's time we do stuff like that. And then, yeah, I got my own bike and it just progressed from there. But he never, ever pushed me. He never, ever was yelling at me if I was not doing good. We just went to the track 
and we just had the deal that I should do the best that I was available to do. And that's have been it. Like when I started to race a little bit overseas or in Germany and stuff like that, we didn't even know how to sign up for ADAC when I was racing 85. So we, we always had to ask for help to do all that stuff because he didn't have a clue about it. Yeah, it's really interesting. One of the things I'm quite curious about um, uh, to, to ask your opinion, obviously you've got knowledge of, uh, you know, racing MXGP and over in, um, over in the States and uh, it, with uh with the states obviously that was that that was like you doing everything off your back um you know with with your partner kind of helping you and you know living out of the sprinter van like you said but uh regarding like money within the US was there enough from like um contingency was there enough from prize money to to keep you going or was it just you constantly having to invest the first year you have to invest a lot of money for sure because you're starting up you need a van you need a place to live. You need some bikes. And then you have to do a little bit of digging around with suspension guys and engine guys because what I experienced was that when you talk to people on the track, everybody thinks they are the best guys. So you need to like talk to people who know where to go so they can give you good advices. And if not, yeah. then you just spend and burn a lot of money. But the second year after I was done with my first year and wanted to try again then the door opened a little bit with people who wanted to help and also I got a lot of free gear and you get points money for wearing the gear and a lot of contingency I didn't even know how to sign up for contingency I was doing I did the whole supercross season I didn't even know there was contingency money and I was doing eighth in San Diego so I was missing out a lot of money from KTM there damn then, yeah yeah, That's and then I was going out. I seen the eighth in San Diego, and I was like, "Wow, you must have uh, you must have cashed in on that one." <laughs> the only cash I got was because all the lime that was in the dirt that felt was giving out five grand to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Damn! Anything about that contingency? And then I was carrying on, and I was just racing, and I was doing ready for the outdoors. And then my 250 blew up. So I just went to the shop and I bought a 450. I wanted to do the outdoors. And three races into the season, last he went came to me from Honda. And he said, hey, uh, you have not uh, signed up for the Honda contingency. I was like, what? Honda contingency? Yeah, you, uh, you can get a lot of money here because you're obviously making some points. I was like, oh, okay. And then I got an email on how to do and when to do and what to do. And I think I got like seven and a half thousand dollars or something because it, it went backwards wow so because this is the thing which uh you know we, we've talked about kids need to get into europe at an early age and, and everything else but you know this is the thing which i'm kind of trying to unwrap at a moment with um in europe you get no help there is no contingency there is no prize money so um that path for uh for young kids uh and their parents at the moment is like you know, really the top five to top eight are probably making the top five are making good money that, that, you know, the, you know, from five to 10, they're probably just about getting by. Um, and, and then you've got America, which is, is, you know, there, there is, there does seem to be some help. The, the gear companies seem to be more forthcoming. Uh, there is this contingency money. So it was, it's just good to, as somebody who's done both series, it's just good to get a, an understanding of, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, MXGP, you done all that by yourself, uh, which you've mentioned. There was there was kind of no financial incentives or or in help. Where 
you know, in America straight away, there's, there is that contingency fund. So it's, it's just good to understand. And, uh, what, what would you, what would you recommend? What, these young kids are coming to you and you're saying, okay, if you go to America, you could do this and do this and do this. And if you go to a Europe, you could do this. What, what, where would your advice be? For sure. When they're younger age, I would keep them here at home because it's more, they, they learn here to be tough because when you go to the States, the sun is almost shining all the time and you have all these facilities and the track is always great conditions and stuff. But when you stay here in Europe, you know, you're dealing with the bad weather, you're learning to ride in the mud and be a fighter. So I would for sure, if it was me and I had a son growing up and I would keep him here in Europe until he was hitting the big bikes because we have the longer motos here and he will be used to a, a more tough environment. And then I would probably go there to spend some money because I know here in Europe, a seat, if you want to do the GPs or a full European season, it costs between like 50 and 100,000 euros. Yeah. So I really wanted to go over there and, and spend that in startup money and, and see where it goes, you know, especially because of the contingency. And I got a really, really nice help from first year Dunlop and second year Pirelli. And I was not even, I was nobody. And I just came there and speak to the guys at the truck. And yeah, they was helping me out with tires. And after my first A1, I finished 17. Answer was calling me because they got my number on uh, on my Instagram and wanted to give me gear. And the next weekend, without I was knowing at it, I had like new 20 new sets of gears and goggles and boots and points money for wearing it. And uh, it was just, I was... Yeah, it was amazing. Just how did you develop your supercross skills, mate? Because obviously there's not a huge amount of Danish guys that go over there. So what was the process there? Did you ride it as a kid much or you just sort of tested yourself when you're over there or why are you so good at it? <laughs> I don't know if I'm good at it or not, but I remember I was maybe 19, 20 years old and I just wanted to ride that supercross. So I went uh, with my Honda 250 to Adak supercross in Germany. And I was crashing the shit out of myself. And everybody was like, yeah, but you don't even have a supercross suspension on your bike. I was like, what? What's supercross that? suspension? Yeah, what's that? You know, I was just getting a little deal with this uh, German team. And he said I should bring my own bike. And I was like, oh, man, that's why. So, yeah, I took off from there. I've been training a little bit at Ken Rodson's uh, place down in Germany. And, yeah. So, I think yeah, I was just learning by doing yeah yeah nice it's it, for me it's super interesting to hear because uh you know like uh yeah uh, one minute you don't know about uh supercross suspension and the next minute you're getting eighth yeah you're a fast learner <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a couple of years after that so i have been crashing my t's out uh, a lot in the meanwhile from going from stock suspension to ama <laughs> So uh, one of the things I'm curious of is uh, you've obviously got a bit of a taste for the, for MXGP. And, and, and as you mentioned, the investment in MXGP is, is just utterly insane at the moment to uh, to get to the races. So um, where obviously Danish championship, you want to wrap that one up. That's that's cool. But where do you go from here? Where, where, where How's the next couple of years sort of mapped out for you? That depends when this uh, when is this interview coming out to the to the public people. <laughs> we can hold it off as long as you need, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. It's because yeah, now as I said, I'm raising two two uh, championships back here in Denmark, and I won it last year. So if I wrap yeah. this 
this season up in both of them, I have been winning three Danish championships in two years. So it's, you know, it's not what I want to wake up early for in the morning and go running, that's for sure. So this this next week, I have meeting with the current team I'm in. And yeah. some weeks after that, I have meeting also with Yamaha Scandinavian. And uh, yeah, I need to tell the guys what I'm feeling, you know, because I, yeah, I've been Danish champion in almost every class I raced on less 65. So all the way up, if I wrap this thing up. So I want to try something new, you know, like when I went to the States. So I maybe want to try to to race uh, almost full GP season and see where it goes. Yeah. And uh, the team boss actually promised me if I got Danish champion, he would give me a year in the States. Oh, wow. Yeah, that'd be cool as well. And I guess, yeah, I guess looking at, looking at the 450 championship, obviously, it's never going to be like that probably ever again. Yeah. 450 <laughs> championship, you must be looking at it and just thinking, damn, I could be sm in there. I'm, I'm up at eighth in San Diego, but I could be absolutely killing it over there right now. Yeah, for sure. I, I was also been looking at it and I also texted this to my team boss. I'm like, yeah, it's now. It's now. It's We have to go now. <laughs> yeah. He was like, no, we, we need to wrap things up here first. <laughs> yeah, but also with, with my kid now and my fiance and we have a house here in Denmark and yeah, things is not easy anymore. You know, it's not, I'm not 18 years old. I can just go to the airport tomorrow and just take off. I have uh, things to think about. Yeah, growing up in commitments suck. <laughs> yeah completely no i i love it i actually love being, being a dad here i i have I enjoy it so much i i have three girls and they they keep me very very busy and i i you know and to like when you have kids it, it really does uh it really does change you and i i really enjoy spending time with them and you know being at gps for me is when i'm not you know i'm, I'm away from them and it, and it does affect me now because um i've missed out so much over the years but um but at the same time, you, you can, you know, you are what you are and, and, and you're a racer and you're ambitious and you want to do the best. So it, it's, it must be so hard getting, it's kind of like a push me, pull you where you want to push yourself because you're only this age once, but at the same time, you want to be truthful to your, to your, you know, you want to be there for your family and, and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, luckily for me, I'm a shit rider. So I've not got that pull. <laughs> so um, I'm just focusing on the family. Yeah, I, I know what you're meaning. Like when I go on my long bike rides and stuff, I I feel a little bad for the family, you know, because I think I, I just take off. Same in the weekends when I go racing and they're not with me. I also feel a little bit bad. And then when I come home and I sit with them, her and stuff, then I feel bad I'm not training. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> yeah, but also where... It, now in Lockett in the first moto when everything was shit and I was so mad and I came out and, you know, it's just hard not to smile when my fiance is coming with my daughter to me and put her in my arms, you know, and then everything is maybe not so shit anymore. Yeah. So that, and, yeah. and things get put in perspective, hey? Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, that's just one moto. Look at it. She's, she's happy to see me no matter what. If I got yeah. first and I got last, she's, she's smiling anyway. Yeah, it's so Absolutely. cool to have that support around you, mate. And obviously the, the framework you had at that particular race and the ones you do is so cool. And the vlogs that you guys do, that was really cool. I'd encourage anyone to go watch that. It just sort of gives a great insight into sort of the, 
yeah, the privateer style setup you guys have. So have you got some more plans for the vlogs, mate? And are you going to hit a couple more MXGP rounds during the rest of the year? Yeah, we, we actually was making a vlog also from Finland here, but uh, we're going to see how it turns out with that one. Obviously, there was not too much of racing up there and not too much of filming on, on the way home to Denmark because I was just sitting there and watching the rain. But yeah, I plan to do this this Finland, Udevalle, maybe Madly Basin, and then also of Nations, I hope to do. So and we wanted to vlog everything, also to kind of show the the people around the racing what it really takes when you're a privateer. You're standing up two in the night because you're hearing your tent is a is almost uh, <laughs> on the go, you know, to the to the other end of the paddock. So you're standing yeah. out there smashing sticks into the ground to keep it there and yeah it's just that's how it is to be a privateer and i don't say i don't enjoy it because i like the hard work about it but i was also love to try not to care about all these things and mm. see where it ends yeah yeah just have to focus on the racing yeah exactly i remember the first the uh, races in the u.s i was pitted just after the ktm troy lee design truck. And I came in and I believe I was 18 or 17 and Derek Drake, he was two places in front of me and he just come out and he just almost throw his KTM bike to a mechanic and he just jumps in a big ice bath with gear on and everything. And I just stay there, take my shirt off and I start washing my own bike. And yeah. Steenie asks, what do you want for food? What do you want to drink? And I was just washing my bike in my dirty pants and dirty boots. And I was like, oh, shit. It's just, yeah. yeah. Different worlds. Completely different worlds. First time you sit down in a national in the States is when you sit down behind the next gate drop. Yeah, pretty much. It's cool. You must appreciate all the, you know, the sacrifice and the hard work that goes into everything, mate. You must be satisfied and I guess proud with your career so far. Do you sort of take a second to look back because everything's coming so fast, but yeah, do you ever find time to do that? Yeah, not when you're in it, I would say yeah. that. When I was over there, it was just full gas, 200 at the time. It was so, so tough. But when now when I come home and people also like acknowledge what I've done and see, oh, you just went over there, you didn't know anybody, you just packed a box and you shipped it over there. And yeah, that's that's how it basically was. Uh, I didn't even know where to live when I came there. I was talking with guys at the track and then I found this guy. He had a, he had a combo I could live in. And then I moved to another guy and it was just, I was like a gypsy. I just think experiences are, are what makes makes life in this. You got to try these things, and uh, I can imagine uh, being able to share that as well with your partner. You, like you can look back and uh, you know look at the good, the bad, and uh, you know it kind of shapes you, and it must shape you guys as a, a partnership going forward. Yeah, also now when we get all these memories, you know, on Snapchat and all that, only two years ago and three years ago, it's like, what? It's it's only three years ago. We were sitting there in the Sprinter van and making sandwiches. And yeah, it's it's the, the time just flies, you know. Did, yeah. you, uh, did you build some good relationships back there? Yeah, yeah, I actually did. But you can also feel like when you're coming from another country, the, the what you say, the guys is a little bit more... They know you're leaving again, let me say like that. So they don't want to get too involved and maybe be your best friend because maybe you were there one, two, three years and then you're, then you're heading back to Europe. But I for sure got a lot of good friendships over there and a lot of people that wanted to help me out. And also some Danish guys living in California. 
so they they also helped me out a lot and i was i was staying and one of the danish guys' house the second year i was there and he was he was looking after me and because it's it was difficult you know going over there i could in the beginning only be there three months at the time because i was on a tourist visa so i had to go home spend some time home and then over again and yeah he was helping me to getting my sports visa done and all the papers because yeah it's just it's a different world and so difficult yeah i can imagine yeah um no i think for me it's i just find the whole thing you know super interesting and uh you know i'm a big fan of privateers and you, you know and what people put into uh to just try and make their dreams happen i mean there's there's people who can uh talk a great game and then there's other people who can actually just okay go out and do it and and i like i like what you've done i like the fact that you've you've literally tried motocross at every you know top level and at 31 you've still got plenty of time left to um to keep ticking off some goals yeah that's that's what we're trying to do let's see if uh, if i i take some more goals off next year i hope i hope i can find out something with the team and, and yamaha and see if they can support a, a gp season or some some european gps that that would be really nice for sure yeah, it'd be awesome to see, mate. And i got to ask you, James, you've obviously been before, but how was the vibes at A1, mate? The atmosphere must be absolutely incredible. Fuck the fireworks. Uh, goosebumps everywhere. <laughs> I've only done A1 once, and it was insane. Like, literally, it's just... when, when I can imagine, as well, I can imagine as a, as a fan, it was fantastic, but as a rider, it must, must just must blow you away. And the thing is, if it was me... I'd be so excited I'd just crash in the first corner and just be out for the rest of the season. I have that good thing about it. When, it. when it really counts, I always kind of step up a little bit. So I can suck a little bit in the practice and I can suck a little bit in the time qualifying. But when when the gate is dropping and I know like now it's time, you have to perform, then I perform better. Uh, very cool. On top of A1, what were some of the other highlights from the American trip, mate? Because you certainly did some pretty good results and you got to see all these awesome tracks. And so maybe yeah, just some of the highlights and what track was your favorite, for, for example? Uh, I don't know why. I was always a fan of San Diego because we pitted in town. We have pull, the police was escorting us on the bikes through San Diego City like with the on motorcycles to the stadium and, and stuff like that it was just so cool to racing between these big buildings and in, in the states when you go to the stadium so i always felt good down there the track was not too big so maybe that that was that was a benefit for me when we went to to phoenix and arizona the stadium was huge i could not even remember the rhythm lanes so <laughs> when you're like okay Turn left now, and then you have table, double, triple, table, double, triple. I was like, "Oh shit!" I com I'm completely confused. Yeah. So it it took a lot of time to get used to when you had so long rhythm lanes and just remembering the track. And that was also the first first time I was in A practice. I remember it. It was uh, I just made points A one, go from B practice to A practice, and all the pros had press day Friday. I go on the track, first practice, I'm rolling the triple just to feeling the dirt, you know. And Ferrandez and Sensorillo just jump over my head. And I was like, what is this? I'm just staying down here and waiting till everybody have jumped over me. And then when everybody jumped that triple, I was just rolling the last two, you know, like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Damn. These guys not messing around, you know. They're, they're just... 
they have a feeling they're just watching the jumps when they do the track walk and they already know what to do and how much gas to give it uh, it's impressive I think it's uh, it's super impressive when you look at the results from San Diego in in and you see that Dylan Ferrandez finished in front of you but you beat Cameron McAdoo, uh, Colt Nichols, Chris Blows, Michael Mosiman, Jacob Hayes, Carson Brown, RJ Hampshire. It's it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> but it must have felt good. Yeah, it felt good and it was it was muddy. So as I said, from a European point of view, you get strong in the mud back home here. And I always kind of like it because it's a surviving thing, you know, when it's not too much of how much horsepower you have or factory suspension you have and, and stuff like that. It, it's equal out the playing field a little bit. So it actually, I was, I think I would finish seven if I didn't wait for Cincerillo to pass me on the last lap. Because I I was hearing my my bike was barking a little bit, so I think I might have some water in the in the air filter box. So so I was pulling to side and I was waiting for Santorillo to come past me, so I didn't have to do the the next lap because I was I was afraid the bike would stop then. Damn, yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean it's one of those things which uh, yeah I finished eighth in Supercross, I and mean, there's not many people who can you can actually say that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's that's my highlight for sure. I just did miss out of all that contingency money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a killer. And just to cut, what about the outdoor tracks, mate? Did you have a favorite? Oh, yeah, Jacksonville in Florida. Fuck, that's yeah. a tough one. Yeah, that's really? a really tough one. Yeah, that's for the tough guys. It's so humid down there, and the track is so fast, and it gets so gnarly. And yeah, that's for sure one of my favorites. And a couple more before we let you go, mate. I just wanted to ask you, just to give the fans a further insight about your program, what does a regular week look like for you? Obviously, you're doing your bike prep, your training, your full-time job, the family time. It's a pretty crazy balance you got to deal with. Yeah, so let's start it. Monday morning, it's always we come home late from the racing in the weekends. I wake up early. I go to work. Yeah, coming home, spinning the cycle a little bit, packing out the van, starting washing up all the gear, and I'm so... I'm so lucky my mom and dad is not living too far away from me. So I dropped my mom all my dirty, dirty clothes from the week. <laughs> Even Love 31 that. years of age, huh? Giving my mom yeah. my riding gear. So yeah, I, like I try to just be on, on the track just once a week between the tight, tight schedule here because I don't want to burn out and I also want to be hungry on the weekend. So if we are doing a change from a hard pack race to a sandy race, then I would just go one time on, on the sandy track just to get a feeling for it and some suspension clicking. And then that might be Wednesday or Thursday. Thursday evening, we pack up and load, and Friday we are for sure hitting the road. And then it's all over again. Depends how far away we are going. Yeah, oh, mate, it's a bad program. It's bloody cool. And just, yeah, James, any last questions before we let him go? No, and I I think we definitely need to to get Matthias back on the uh, on the podcast after a couple more GPs, and uh, just talk about his progress and what's been happening and stuff like that. So if you're up for it, bud, we'd love to uh, love to chat to you again. For sure, I'm up for it. It has been a pleasure to talking to you guys. I I was a little bit in shock when I got that uh, DM in my my Instagram. I was like, holy shit! I'm not used to get that attention. You know, I'm just working in the dark and just having fun in the weekends and trying to fit all the pieces in the puzzle and yeah 
being a family that beside there. No, yeah, That's thanks cool. for taking the time to join us, mate, because it's so cool. People will love to hear your story and it definitely relates to a lot of people that you're so doing it tough and they do their own things and they've got their various battles. It's definitely a great source of motivation for a lot of people, mate. So, yeah, before we let you go, we'll thank the sponsors in Fly Racing, Monster Energy, Fox, Parts Europe, Scott, Bell Helmets, Acherbys, ASU Performance, Kawasaki UK, KTM UK, and of course, even strokes for all their incredible support. As without them, none of this would be possible. All right, one last one for you though, Matthias. I'll give you an opportunity to sort of shout out to your sponsors and say thanks to anyone to support you. And where can everyone follow you and watch those cool vlogs? Yeah, thank you guys. And thanks to my mechanic, Casper, my fiance, Stine, and the whole team, Field and Racing team. I'm beyond happy for all, all that they're doing for me and, and all the support I'm getting this year so I can do my racing. And uh, if people want to follow this, they can follow my Instagram, Matthias Jorgensen21, or my YouTube channel. Just, just search Matthias Jorgensen on top, and you will see how uh, how hard it is to be a privateer. And just remember out there, nothing is impossible if you just want to do it hard enough. Yeah, right. Well said. Thanks, too, for joining us, James. No worries. Great to chat to you. And uh, yeah, um, it's, it's brilliant. I love I love hearing these stories. For me, this is what I love about motocross is, is these stories and people like yourself. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, mate. Well said. All the best. And we look forward to speaking to you soon.